0: Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Simo Speaks Today we'll be covering the AFCON final Which we saw was a showdown between Nigeria vs Cote d'Ivoire Then we go into a little bit of Champions League roundup Before ending it all with Manchester United vs Aston Villa A little bit of Moroccan developments And then lastly, my donkey of the week Let's go ahead and get into the lineups first. We see Nigeria going with a 3-4-2-1 formation with Ossum in that familiar number 9 role, while Cotevar went with the more familiar 4-3-3. Nigeria needs to go with that stacked midfield formation because they're thin in those positions. We saw Kong who uh, it was been mentioned elsewhere, one of the best center backs in the tournament, can't work well in the 2, works much better in the 3, um, performed really incredible today, scored a goal, but didn't go his way. So the game starts off with a bang in 6 minutes and the Ivorians have a great opportunity after a cross by Simon Adengra but he can't find Max Gredell Few minutes after that Gredell tries a bicycle kick which finds the side netting but it's still a great shout nevertheless Pretty back and forth until around the 30th minute mark when Frank Kessier finds a beautiful lane for Adingra, setting him up nicely but he wasn't able to finish due to excellent keeping by Staniel Nwabili Adingra is a special player and he's had about 13 starts and 4 subs for Brighton this season Few minutes after that Nigerian player Truist de Kong's buffass is able to find the back of the net with that strong ass forehead of his. He hit some TRT, injected it straight into the forehead vein, it allowed him to hit the ball so hard he dented it. I could have sworn when the referees had to put the ball back down for kickoff, they said damn. Damn! Nigeria is now up 1-0 on the host going into the second half, but coming out of the half, the host looks strong. 15 minutes into the second half following a corner kick by Ivory Coast, Frank Kessier scores a beautiful header with the same amount of velocity as Truist de Kong, but I think I like Truist de Kongs more because it seems like he's dunking on his defender when he has to get up and headbutt it in. At the 73rd minute mark, Halaire has a beautiful bicycle kick attempt, and even though it doesn't go in, you can see how lethal a 9 like Haller can be for a team. Haller feeds off the fine margins like all elite strikers and all elite nines do. He knows it's necessary for himself to get into the box and to have a presence. Sometimes getting lucky is all you need, but being in that position to get lucky is even more important. I mentioned last episode, it's beautiful that Sebastian Haller is able to perform at that top level, especially coming back from testicular cancer, but it's nothing to sneeze at. It really is a big sign of the human fortitude and the indomitable human spirit. I want to give a huge shout out to Sebastian Haller and I'm happy that he was able to score a goal. A few minutes later, that wonderful Adingara chemistry with Halair is being demonstrated again but this time instead of a failed bicycle kick it's a wonderful cross by Adingara into the box and Halair just has the most slightest back heel flick whatever the hell it was. One can describe it as Zlatan-esque but Ibrahimovic doesn't have any trophies with Sweden that aren't individual or any trophies in AFCON. So from here on out, it's being described as haler esque Seko Fofana and Jean-Michel Seri dictated the tempo in midfield and we've seen how thin Nigeria's midfield can get. Adingra, who was hailed man of the match, attributed the triumph, in his own words, to the collective strength and mindset of the Ivorian team. He highlighted their ability to overcome challenges and seize opportunities. Overall, I'm happy it was a fun game to watch as a neutral and I'm glad we avoided a boring final. Let's get into topics and contexts around the game. Last time, Cote d'Ivoire won, it was 2015, and this one makes it Ivory Coast's joint fourth alongside Nigeria in terms of tournament success. The cameras kept cutting the FIFA president Gianni Infantino and Ivory Coast legend Didier Drogba with his friend. I don't think anybody can undermine Emir's or Emers Faye, however you want to pronounce it, his leadership, since it was a huge subplot to their victory. I think his man management is incredible. I think it was obvious that he knows the team better than Jean-Louis Cassette. And he took over the reins after the group stage... Where they performed abysmally, right? They barely made it out. They struggled to make it out of the group stage, winning only one game, and that came against Guinea Bissau. To win one game in the AFCON group stage and then go on to clinch the title, to me, is more impressive than going to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. You don't get a trophy for fourth place. Rise and shine. How about rise and die? Wake the fuck up. Nigeria's coach Jose Pasero acknowledged Cote d'Ivoire's superiority on the day. Mentioning the fact that they failed to replicate their earlier performances in the tournament. Nigeria, unfortunately, did have their worst performance of the tournament in the finals. And I do want to speak about that a little bit. I'm not a big fan of that. I don't think you need to give it up to the other team. I think if you're at risk of losing your job or you feel like you're going to lose your job anyway, why have shame? Why not accuse the refs of corruption? Gianno Infantino is there. Why not say that they wanted to make a show for him? Why not say that the host nation paid off the refs? I'm just kidding. That's not a good idea, but um, I'm not I'm not a fan of the humbleness. I think you should act out a little bit. Go crazy. In all seriousness, it was a beautiful tournament and some amazing football was played. The next one will be in 2025 in Morocco, but it looks like it's probably going to end up being moved since Morocco wanted to host it in the summer. But that's going to coincide with the Club World Cup, I believe. And so it'll most likely be moved until that following January, which will put it in a 2026 window. Next, let's move over to Manchester United versus Aston Villa. This will be my first time covering United on audio, so I'm going to try to be as objective as possible, but as of right now and for the foreseeable future, I will continue to support this club. Before the game, Manchester United were sitting 6th in the table with 38 points and a negative 1 goal differential. A negative 1 goal differential can only come with an incredibly cynical style and philosophy of football. On this show, I probably won't go into formations too much when discussing United, Premier League, Ligue 1, or any other major club. For the most part, we know what to expect. Unless I see something out of the ordinary, I'll probably skim over it. This time around, I will mention it. United went with a 4-3-3, but it was nice to see Kobe Mainu and Garnacho both starting. But unfortunately, Sufian Amrabat was on the bench. And I'm just kidding, it might be better if Couscous Vin Diesel doesn't start. <laughs> Early in the game, Hoyland gets a sweet goal that looks offsides, but as he's celebrating, you can tell he's looking at the lens when it makes sure that flag doesn't go up. It doesn't go to VAR, and I know I was joking around and mentioning the sheer power that Truist Kong scored that goal for Nigeria with, But Maguire's head is so big, I don't even believe he had to put that much effort into heading it into space for Hoyland. It looked like it just bounced off right into a sweet tap-in for Hoyland, making it his fifth goal in five consecutive league games. McGinn has a good attempt that gets saved by Onana, and then that's followed by a nice through-by by McGinn again for Ollie Watkins. That gets saved by Onana again. And obviously, I have my criticisms of Onana, but I need him to get his confidence up, and saving those shots is necessary. I'm glad he saved those shots, obviously, so that the goal doesn't get scored. But being a keeper, being the man in those high-pressure moments is going to do numbers for his confidence. Coming out of the second half, Villa looked sharp, and when a corner kick by Leon Bailey causes havoc in the box, it ends up rebounding right back to him, allowing him to send a direct pass to Douglas Luiz, who strikes it cleanly. 1-1. One, one trash celebration by him too i don't know after last week's shithousery with neil molpe i thought he would be a bit more creative but nobody's gonna be happy getting shimmied on a bit of back and forth for most of the game following that goal but in the last 15 minutes or so after mctominay comes on for rashford it's clear united are itching for a second in the 85th minute after some cheeky footwork by kobe Manu. He gets himself some space and lets the ball go to Diallo, who then puts it in a dangerous area in the box where Scott can just strong body Matty Cash's fake Polish ass because a real pole would have been able to go shoulder to shoulder with McTominay. They have the strength. Look at this crap! Look at it! <laughs> McTominay's winning goal further pushes the correct narrative of his impact as a super sub, making him the highest scoring substitute in the league this season with 7 goals. An article from Reuters quotes, His attitude and readiness to make a difference from the bench earned praise from manager Eric Ten Hag, who hailed him as an example for many players in the modern game. To me, Ten Hag is not somebody I'm going to be taking advice from on what players should be good examples. And speaking of delusional managers who should be in no place giving examples of anything, uh, Villa manager Unai Emery said that he believed that his team deserved more from their efforts. However, he acknowledged the unpredictable nature of football and the need to bounce back from setbacks. I respect this kind of delusion, and this is what I wanted to hear from Nigerian manager Jose Pesero. If you're a football manager, you should absolutely live in your own delusion. Aston Villa had 10 shots on target, which is double than what United had, and they also had a little more than half of the possession. That's pure delusion. United pick up the three points, still remain sixth in the table, and are now at a zero-goal differential. Let's transition on to Champions League developments. City cruise past Copenhagen with goals coming from KDB, Phil Foden, and Bernardo Silva. A lot of comparisons this week in the media between Foden and Saka. Me personally, the only thing I care about is the fact that Phil Foden wears 47. I understand what it's for. Fair play to him. Respect. I know it's for family reasons. But still, I don't think you should wear 47. A Number 10? Needs to stick to number 10. This is football heritage. PSG game was an objectively good game, but there were two special performances in my opinion. Kylian Mbappe and Bradley Barcola. Barcola's second half goal secured PSG a win over visitors Real Sociedad in the first leg of their round of 16 Champions League tie. Sticking with the Reals, Brahim Diaz's golazo gives Real Madrid an edge over RB Leipzig. For that play, he did exactly what I mentioned he excels at on the last episode of Simo Speaks. He runs into space and he can either make a play for himself or his teammates. Bernardo Silva-esque maybe? Who knows? Where the ports of Kylian go into Madrid? My new 2024 vision board has Rodrigo backing up Kylian, causing Brahim being sold to United. Next week's Champions League games are Inter vs. Atlético Madrid, PSV Eindhoven vs. Borussia Dortmund, Porto versus Arsenal, and Napoli vs. Barca. As of Moroccan developments, nothing big happening. Walid had a meeting with Brahim Diaz as of Valentine's Day, but there's no news on whether or not he will switch allegiances and play for Morocco. As of February the 16th, it does look like he might be leaning more towards Spain since he's accepting an additional meeting with their FA. My donkey of the week could also be considered some other people, government agencies, intelligence agencies, security agencies, a terrorist of the week. Uh, I would like to... I would would like to be a a terrorist. Quincy Promez, my guy, what's going on? Good luck to you and free all the guys, free Fredo especially. Actually, that was for non-footballing reasons. For footballing reasons, I'm going to give my donkey of the week to myself I didn't think Ivory Coast would win AFCON but that's the beauty of AFCON you don't know what's gonna happen I also didn't think Manchester United would beat Aston Villa but that's because I'm cynical thank you all for joining me on this special edition AFCON final of Simo Speaks and I hope you all join me next week where we cover more Manchester United more Champions League and we dive a little bit into league uh, and any league uh, prospects to take a look at